Oh yeah, ooh, ah, that's how it always starts. But then later there's running and uh, screaming. Think it'll scare the kids? The kids? This will be the parents' nightmares. Hello, my name is Austin Torres, and welcome to the What Do You Die podcast, the show where we talk about our favorite horror monsters and villains. Welcome to Jurassic June, a whole month of this podcast dedicated to the cinematic treasure known as the Jurassic Park franchise. This is the fourth episode, and I'm excited to welcome back to the podcast, dark fiction author, poet, and the host of Write and Wine. I'm never going to get that right. It's always going to trip me up. But my friend, Lex Vranick. Thanks so much. And uh, yeah, it, it's a bit of a tongue twister for me too. <laughs> well, I'm glad that it gets you in addition to me. Because <laughs> you made it. What? First things first. What's your favorite dinosaur? Oh, God. Um, I know it's a little basic, but Velociraptor. It's not that basic. You're the first person to say Velociraptor. Oh, hell yeah. Well, one out of four, because you are the fourth person I've talked to about Jurassic Park, but still first one to say Velociraptor. Hell yeah, I love that. Okay, good. That makes me feel a little bit better, because I feel like whenever <laughs> I'm talking to other people, they're like, why would you pick that out of like all the dinosaurs? Well, I'll tell you the basic answer, and it's my favorite dinosaur, the T-Rex. That's a good one, though. I mean, she's the best. There's no comparison, but it is a basic answer. It's like saying, who's your favorite Pokemon? It's Pikachu. But both icons. And fun fact, Pikachu is also my favorite Pokemon. I've just accepted that I'm, that I'm a basic bitch. Good for you. Well, I mean, in like every, thank you, good for me. But in like every fandom, I feel like I have the most basic favorite. Like name any fandom. But I feel like, because I feel like basic answers are basic for a reason because they're meant to be popular and they're meant to like kind of draw you in. Yeah, but I want to be cool and that's not cool. That's like everyone else's, but I'm not cool. Any any fandom, I just have the most basic because like I said, Pikachu's my favorite Pokemon. My favorite Marvel hero is Spider-Man. That's a good choice too. <laughs> but I do like that you picked the Velociraptor because so far two people have picked the T-Rex. And one person picked a stegosaurus. Ooh, that's a good choice too. <laughs> I, I wasn't, I was expecting it all to be like T-Rex and Velociraptor and maybe a Brachiosaur. So I was not uh -huh. expecting stegosaurus. Stegosaurus is a good one though. I it like is. Stegosaurus is a classic dinosaur. It's in like everything. Mm -hmm. I always think of, I think Spike from Land Before Time. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, stegosaurs are just really cool. I really wanted to bring you into the Jurassic June because you are a writer. Mm -hmm. And I think Jurassic Park is a very interesting franchise from a writing standpoint, especially since you can trace its origins to Michael Crichton's novel. Yes, absolutely. Are you a fan of Michael Crichton? I'll be honest, the only books that I have read 
of his are the Jurassic Park books. I've read Jurassic Park and I've read The Lost World. And that's kind of where I stopped because I went on a little kick of what, of reading books of movies that I love, right? Like mm-hmm. I, I have, a, and obviously like with Jurassic Park aging myself, but I was born the same year it came out. So I didn't have the experience of um, getting to go see it in the theaters. And I also saw it like that was more accessible to me as a kid than a Michael Crichton book was. So I saw the movie first and then kind of decided a couple years ago, you know what, I'm going to go back through all of these movies that I loved and read the novels and see how everything compares and holds up. Um, So I went on that little kick. I definitely want to read more Crichton, um, but just haven't gotten to it yet. Well, if it makes you feel better, I've only read the two Jurassic Park novels as well. I've seen Congo a long time ago, but I don't really remember it. I know that's based off of a Crichton book mm-hmm. and I've seen Westworld, but I haven't read okay. either books. I haven't read the, Andom- the Andromeda Strain. The Andromeda Strain? I can't think of the title now. It's supposed to be really good. <laughs> I just can't think of how to say it. Yeah. Um, and that's why I don't read it is if I can't say it, I'm not going to read it. And I'm kidding. That's not the case at all. But <laughs> listen, that would be fair, though, because what are you reading? And then you can't say the title of the book. That's a little embarrassing. It's like that scene in Finding Nemo. And then an anemone. Exactly. And then the I think the teacher is just like, OK, kid, don't hurt yourself. And that's like literally everyone to me trying to say the Indomita strain. The Anamanamana strain. I'm going to I'm going to spare our listeners from uh, just me saying that for a half hour. That's the whole episode. (laughs) Uh, Spoiler alert. That's all I'm going to do for the next hour and a half. (laughs) So you mentioned that you're old (laughs) and the same age as Jurassic Park. I'm assuming you didn't see it in theaters. So your first like memories of it is VHS. Yeah. So actually it's interesting because I don't actually remember the first time I watched it. I don't know if it was on TV. I don't know if we had the VHS or we got the VHS from the library. Like I really have no idea. And I honestly didn't realize how much I loved the movie, the franchise, like all of it until I went to go see Jurassic World when that was coming first coming out, I think in like 2015. And I'm sitting in the theater and the music starts and I got really emotional and I was like, what is happening right now? So it's like, it's a movie that I remember watching a lot when I was younger, but I don't actually remember that first introduction. I'm the same way. It's just, I've been a fan as long as I remember. I know I was three years old when I first watched it, but I don't have three-year-old memories. So I just know it's been a part of my life as long as I can remember back. Do you, well, I I know the answer to this because there's only one right answer, but what is your favorite Jurassic Park movie? Oh, the original. No competition. (laughs) If someone ever says something different, I'm like, okay, I love that movie, but why are you lying to me? Right. Like, why are you picking that one over the first one? I know film is art and it's all subjective and everyone opinions matters. Mm -hmm. But there's a right answer to that question. (laughs) Yes. And this is one of those 
franchises where I feel like, because for so many franchises, I feel like any of the movies could be someone's favorite movie and I'd be pretty open to that. But with this one, I just feel like the original Jurassic Park was such a big deal from a cultural standpoint and still stands up um, 28 years later, almost 30 years later, um, that how can you pick any of the other ones over that movie? Well, I think, well, first off, you're 100% right with all of that. But I think you could take it a step further. And I think Jurassic Park should be in the conversation for greatest film of all time. Oh, I would 100% agree with that. Because I think the one, the ones that you commonly think of are like Citizen Kane, mm-hmm. The Godfather, Paddington 2. Of course. Um, Jaws, I think would be up there. Oh, Jaws definitely is, yeah. Um, and Star Wars. I think the original Star Wars would be in that conversation. A lot of people will say Empire Strikes Back, and I do think Empire Strikes Back is the better film. Mm-hmm. But I don't think Empire Strikes Back changed cinema like Star Wars did. And when I say like the greatest of all time, the GOAT, if you will, I mean films that changed cinema. Yes, because you have to think about the cultural impact. Again, just like Jurassic Park, what was happening at the time and what made these specific movies different and important and impactful and so i think the argument for star wars is there i think the argument for jaws is there um citizen kane Mm -hmm. the godfather obviously and then there are films that i think are better but i don't know if i because i think to be the greatest of all time you have to have every measurable metric yeah and i think that includes awards that includes money that includes mm-hmm. merchandising. So in, if we're talking quality, then I think Paddington 2 is, you know, a legitimate contender. The Shawshank Redemption mm-hmm. should be up there. there. There's a like my mind just went blank from how many movies I could. Yeah. But since Jurassic Park, I think you can really only argue Titanic okay. and, and Avatar. Yeah. Yeah, I think that those are fair. Actually, I think you could argue Avengers Endgame. Yeah, actually, I hadn't considered that one. But when you think about, again, the whole context of what was happening, how that movie came to be, and the impact that it had, absolutely, it fits in there. The only thing that would kill Endgame's, I bet, I guess, bid for that title would be it, it got no awards consideration. Um, but it made all the money and it did something genuinely unseen at the time, which was pay off 10 years worth of movies in multiple mini franchises mm-hmm. in one big finale. And then you see a lot of films trying yes. to do what Endgame did. And I think Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker tried to be a little bit like Avengers Endgame, um, Spider-Man No Way Home is basically Marvel's mini endgame. Oh, yeah, it's like a baby endgame. Right. A cynical person would call it a discount endgame. (laughs) That that affected the Jurassic Park franchise because Jurassic World Dominion definitely wanted to be an endgame. 
Oh, absolutely. Especially when you consider them bringing in the legacy cast members in addition to our Jurassic World cast. They're kind of slapping together this whole, I lost the word that I wanted to say, but <laughs> it, it has that similar quality of this big ensemble film that Jurassic Park, Jurassic World has never really been before. But Endgame right. sort of set the stage for this kind of movie. And I think we'll get more, too. Oh, absolutely. But Avatar is in the running because it pushed visual effects in a way that hasn't been seen since Jurassic mm -hmm. Park. It made all of the money and yes. it was nominated for a bunch of awards. And rightfully mm -hmm. so. I know the plot's a little basic. Right, but, but it, wasn't about, it worked. wasn't completely about the plot either, right. right? Like it was more about these feats of engineering and filmmaking that they did with this film. Yeah, so it was almost like the plot was secondary to everything else that they were trying to do with that movie that I think that they still accomplished, even with a kind of basic plot. And honestly, trying to do a really comp complex plot on top of all of that might have tipped it overboard. So I feel like they kind of knew what they were working with. Oh, I think it's a feat in filmmaking. Mm -hmm. I 100% agree with you. And if I wanted to be cynical and try to take Avatar off the board because of its more basic plot, then I'm going to have to be like, well, that takes out Star Wars too. Right. Because Star Wars is essentially the same thing. Has a It's just a hero's journey. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. It's, it's so basic, but it's so well done because of the world that they created around it. Exactly. And the characters that are mythological icons mm -hmm. at this point, thousands of years from now, archaeologists are going to find figures of Darth Vader mm -hmm. and think he was a deity. Oh, Absolutely. <laughs> They're going to think we worship Darth Vader and R2-D2 and C-3PO. And some of us probably do. <laughs> True. I, I, honestly, future archaeologists and anthropologists have their work cut out for them in terms of figuring out uh, people's religious affiliations from this time, because so much of our pop culture looks like what ancient religions looked like. So we're going to have like the cult of Marvel and the cult of Star Wars are going to be these big, quote unquote, religions that archaeologists think that we all followed. Honestly, they're probably right. <laughs> mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. The way people get angry over Star Wars, it probably is a religion. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. There, there's definitely a group of people that act like religious zealots about it. Oh, well, that's a whole different topic. We are not going to go down that path. That's a rabbit hole. Yeah, that path leads to the dark side. Fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. Hate leads to sending mean messages to people you don't know on Twitter. True. True. Which leads to suffering. <laughs> yes. Yes. On, on all sides. <laughs> but um, bringing it back to Jurassic Park being the goat, it has the money. Mm -hmm. It has strong world world building to the point where the franchise is still the franchise is in better shape than ever. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people 
Um, I'm just going to say this as a fair warning. Jurassic World Dominion spoilers throughout this episode. Yes. That movie's still kind of recent. So if you haven't seen it, there will be spoilers from this point on. I guess this isn't a a spoiler, but Jurassic World Dominion's not being reviewed well. No, not at all. And despite that, this franchise is in the best shape it's ever been. Oh, yeah. Because I think they were smart to take a break after this one. Mm -hmm. Because by the time they get their plans ready and they do make a new one, there is going to be three movies, probably four or five, that reviewers think are the worst ever. Yes. And people will come around on this and be like, eh, it was all right. Mm -hmm. Just like the Star Wars prequels are a Spider-Man 3. Yeah. We we feel more nostalgic looking back on them and kind of like, oh, we were a little harsh. Yeah. They're not that bad. So there's precedent for that. But um, yeah, I mean... Jurassic Park's going strong with the video games, with theme park mm-hmm. rides. It might be the third biggest franchise at the moment, if you take in all I the would... merchandising and such. Yeah, absolutely. Because I do think Marvel's the top dog, mm-hmm. but Star Wars is the one to beat. Yeah. And then Jurassic Park's like right behind them. But like a couple of years ago, if you were to tell me that Jurassic Park would be a bigger franchise than Harry Potter, I'd be like, okay. <laughs> and it is. Yep. Um, five years ago, it was not. But with the Jurassic World franchise and the fact that the Fantastic Beasts movies are just like critical and financial di- disappointments, like, yeah, this movie's a critical disappointment, but it's making a lot of money. Oh, yeah. And I think, like, one, I'll just come off the bat and say it, that, like, with Dominion, I had a great time. It was so much fun. Like, I'm convinced that the people that are being really, really harsh on it just don't like fun. Because if you're just going in to enjoy a little dinosaur movie, I had a good time. I mean, there are definitely issues with it. Oh, absolutely. And I think... A lot of reviewers and people who are saying this is like the death of cinema, the worst trash movie they've ever seen. I just I just think they're hyper reactive, like they're going to say that mm-hmm. in about a different movie in three months. Oh, absolutely. And they just want to get a click out of you. Right. Like they right. just want to. And honestly, they're building up all this like energy around the movie. People are going to go see it just to see if it's actually that bad. Right. And I think a majority of people be like, okay, it was dumb in a couple parts, uh, more parts than the average movie. I'll, I'll give the critics that. But like, there's fun, there's fun to be had in it. Um, I don't think many, too many people will be bored by it. And I think the people that would be bored mm-hmm. by this one would be bored by marvel like the marvel movies right and um i do think that there are a lot of valid criticisms for this movie Mm -hmm. but a lot of people aren't validly criticizing the movie they're just attacking it yeah i like that distinction i think that's important to keep in mind and i think a lot of people 
are seeing that this move that this is a hot movie to dunk on like it's morbius or batman versus superman yes whereas i don't think this movie's that bad it's more on the quality level of like black widow or the new texas chainsaw massacre yeah i've only seen one of those but yeah anyways to bring it back to my initial point of the original jurassic park being the goat of cinema (laughs) um jurassic world dominion does not have good reviews no the merits of that we might discuss later we might not we're we're winging it right like a pterodactyl jurassic world fallen kingdom had bad reviews jurassic world had bad reviews jurassic Mm -hmm. park 3 actually killed the franchise yes that is very true and the lost world jurassic park had bad reviews Mm -hmm. yeah each movie is the most is one of the most successful of their years like they're all they all make a lot of money and they all are loved by the kids growing up with them exactly and and i think that that's the important thing to remember and like why the jurassic park because jurassic park could have just been a standalone movie it could have just been that one and all right we're done with that right but instead we get this whole franchise because people love dinosaurs we are all still dinosaur kids on the inside and we just want to keep seeing dinos and no matter how dumb this franchise gets Mm-hmm. And I do think it has a capacity to be dumber. So you Dominion haters out there, you think you seem dumb. I don't think you've seen dumb yet. It's going to get worse. I, I think it could get a whole lot dumber. It's hard to make dinosaur movies. And Jurassic Park provides a platform to make a dinosaur movie that the audience has already bought into. Yes, exactly. Because looking at okay, what dinosaur media exists, a lot of it is kid-focused, which is fair because kids love dinosaurs, but those kids grow up and still love dinosaurs deep down. So you have this franchise where, okay, adults get to sort of play in that sandbox too. Adults get to have fun and look, dinosaurs are interacting with people. And you, you get these particularly in the first movie, but they keep these echoes throughout of the science fiction and the questions of humanity and, okay, yeah, we can do this, but should we do this? And why do we keep doing this over and over again? Um, You get all of those sort of questions, but at the end of the day, you can still just have fun and watch a dinosaur movie that's made for you as an adult. Exactly. Yeah. And like, I'm trying to think of other things, other films that have dinosaurs in them that's not like The Land Before Time. Exactly. It's like Land Before Time, um, Dinosaur from like the 2000s. Oh, Um, yeah. There's, I think there was like The Good Dinosaur within the last couple of years. And these are all kids' movies. Um, and, and these are all kids' movies. Because literally the only other, I'm like, okay, what other dinosaur movies exist for adults? And the only one I can think of that I haven't even watched, I just saw the poster while browsing through like Amazon Prime or something, but it's like Velocipaster. And I was like, why is this a thing? But yeah, that's where you get like yeah, the cheesy, like I hesitate mm-hmm. to see B movies or more like C movies <laughs> or D movies. 
But it's like, yeah, you get the sci-fi films, not like science fiction, but like the sci-fi channel original movies. You get Velocipaster. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, there's Tammy and the T-Rex, which is awesome, but. Oh, I haven't watched that one. You, you need to. It's so bad. I love it. Okay. Um, and I mean bad in a, like, in a loving way. Yes. Although those are some of my favorite movies. It's just hard to make a down. I mean, King Kong, I guess. In a King way. King Kong's the only one that gets away with dinosaurs. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but King Kong doesn't use dinosaurs anymore. King Kong's just now in full-blown kaiju territory. As long as there's an interest in dinosaurs, and there will always be an interest in dinosaurs, mm-hmm. there will be a marketplace for Jurassic Park. Absolutely. Whereas I think Harry Potter might, it's on life support right now. Well, and and because I think the thing with that is Harry Potter comes out of the trajectory of things like Lord of the Rings, um, this sort of fantasy world. All that Harry Potter really did was bring it into a school setting and gear it a little bit more towards kids. And then what made it such a cultural phenomenon was that it was growing with those kids, right? So you're, I was five years old when that first book came out. And as I'm reading all the books, I'm growing up with these characters. So I think that it just came out, it was like a right place, right time situation, but you're always going to have other fantasy stories. You're always going to have other little wizard boys. You're not necessarily always going to have this perfect storm of dinosaurs, scientists, all this other stuff that Jurassic Park kind of throws in. The characters are so important to the world, right? Like part of the draw of Dominion is getting to see Ellie and Grant and Ian Malcolm again. Right. And the fact that people were genuinely excited, even if Fallen Kingdom didn't get good reviews either. And even if the first Jurassic World is kind of just the first Jurassic Park with a new paint of coat (laughs) or coat of paint, I should say. Exactly. Because it's interesting because one of the top franchises that I didn't even mention, I didn't think to mention of it is the Lord of the Rings franchise. Mm -hmm. That one's been around the longest. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And yet I think Jurassic Park currently is in a place where it's bigger than lord of the rings because the hobbit movies came out and there was a lot of excitement for it Mm -hmm. and it just dwindled down like i think the third hobbit movie came out to a whimper as opposed to a bang and jurassic park like jurassic world dominion came out with a bang Mm -hmm. absolutely i don't think the lord of the rings franchise will ever die it proved its long, long longevity, and I'm interested to see what the Amazon Prime show is going to be like. But Lord of the Rings doesn't put push the merchandise the way Jurassic Park does. No, definitely not. And and I think you also have where Jurassic Park, they both kind of have um, Lord of the Rings and Jurassic Park both sort of have this market 
with kids specifically, because that's where so much merchandising goes is toys Mm -hmm. and costumes and collectibles and all these things that kids really, really love. And I think that Jurassic Park kind of has their claws in that right now, for lack of better terminology and pardon Mm -hmm. the dinosaur puns. Um, And Lord of the Rings, their classic stuff is sort of always going to be there but they don't really have the new stuff coming out. Whereas like Jurassic World comes out and now you go out and buy a toy Indominus Rex for your kid, right? Right. That's not necessarily the same for Lord of the Rings. And there was a good while when the Jurassic Park franchise was dead. Mm -hmm. Like between Jurassic Park 3 and Jurassic World, there was a time where it was hard to find Jurassic Park anything. Yes where I was the only kid wearing a Jurassic Park shirt. Right. And, and they really only ever, the only movie that they ever pushed was that first one. They were kind of just like, let's ignore the fact that we ever tried to make other movies. We only did this one. And they still kind of ignore Lost World and Jurassic Park 3. But they'll, those films will get their due one day. I, mm-hmm. I, I'm pushing for the Lost World um, Reevaluation, because that is a fun I, you know, I'm just going to say it Lost World is a good movie whoever wants to fight me can meet me at like a Denny's parking lot or something I love I the Lost World I agree and I'll, I will say so when I was first reading the books I read Jura- Jurassic Park and Lost World back to back and Jurassic Park I'm in the camp of the book and the movie are equally as good like they are they both have their merits Um, They're two separate stories and two separate mediums, but they're both really good. I will say that I liked the Jurassic World book. I mean, the um, Lost World book a little bit better, but Jeff Goldblum as Ian Malcolm just brought that movie to life and makes it so much fun. And people don't give it the respect it deserves as a great sequel because yes, there is mm-hmm. a plot hole in the lost world the size of a semi-truck. How did the T-Rex like, kill the people on the boat? True. And here's the thing. Who cares? Because now there's a T-Rex roaming loose in San Diego. Exactly. Like that. The point of it isn't how did she get there. The point is that she's there now. And if that takes you out of the movie, that's fine. I'm not trying to... I'm not trying to convince you. You know what I mean? I'm just trying to say right. they swung for the fences on this movie because yeah. Steven Spielberg knows what the audience wants. Mm-hmm. In the first movie, you have one T-Rex. In the Lost World, you have two T-Rex. Two and a half because there's a baby. That's true. We don't want bigger, scarier dinosaurs we want more T-Rex. Exactly. We want the dinosaurs we know and love on a bigger scale. And that's something that the Jurassic World franchise did very well until this new movie, I think. I, I agree, yeah. Because in the first Jurassic World, Rexy is like the best, like it, it's essentially a glorified cameo. But mm-hmm. like, that that final fight with Rexy and the Indominus Rex is so satisfying. Yes, absolutely. And and then in Fallen Kingdom, Rexy's kind of just popping in whenever she wants throughout the movie. 
Mm-hmm. She's a true chaotic neutral, just like she was in in the original, except right. she gets a whole running time to just hop in and out. Like she has her own story yeah. behind, like she has her own story off screen and she'll yes. pop on screen whenever. Yes. I should probably watch all these movies with a stopwatch. Fallen Kingdom might have the most Rexy screen time. I would not be surprised, honestly. I that's I haven't watched that movie in a while, but I do remember quite a lot of Rexy. The diff, I think what makes the difference is Jurassic Park has that whole T-Rex breakout scene, which yeah. is a couple minutes long. Mm-hmm. And that might be the difference maker. Whereas in Fallen Kingdom, she's in a lot more scenes. Right. But in like, much smaller Smaller increments exactly lost world don't count because that's not rexy otherwise lost world definitely has the most t-rex action right yeah this new movie did not have a lot of rexy in it no i was disappointed and did you watch the prologue on youtube i didn't it makes them like that's like six minutes of the movie cut out and it makes and the movie makes so much more sense with it in do you want me to tell you what oh, the really? prologue is? Yeah. Yeah, go for it. So the prologue begins 65 million years ago. Mm-hmm. And you see like dinosaurs doing dinosaur shit. And they have a face-off between a Giganotosaurus and a T-Rex. And the T-Rex like has feathers and stuff because it's supposed to be like real dinosaurs. Okay. And the Giganotosaurus kills a T-Rex. You see a mosquito land on that T-Rex, suck some blood and like fly away. And it flash forwards to like present day where people in a helicopter are chasing Rexy and Rexy like just tramples into a drive-in and causes mayhem. Okay. And then that's like the, it was supposed to be the first five or six minutes of the movie and they cut it out. Yeah. And and it brings... Like, obviously, you have the original of, like, the mosquito, and that's how we got to where we are now, right? Because without right. that mosquito in the amber, Jurassic Park never would have happened. Um, but also give some context as to what was going on with Rexy and how she ended up with um, Biosyn. And it also gives us context. It sets up a rivalry between the Giganotosaurus and the T-Rex. Yes. Yes, like we've got this millions of years of right. animosity built up between them. Instead, in the final movie, we get you ate my deer that I wanted to eat. Yeah, and, and it, it, it works in a sense because we are dealing with animals. And I feel like a lot of what Jurassic, what Dominion was kind of geared towards was talking about like, okay, dinosaurs are part of the ecosystem now and how do we deal with that and what's the implications of that um so it makes sense in those terms but then you have this massive rivalry that just it didn't feel it felt like it should have just been contained to that one fight in the jungle and not brought out to like this big climactic moment because it just didn't there wasn't enough there between these two dinosaurs for me personally to make sense of why is this being other than we need to find a way to get all these characters out without killing anybody and really upsetting some audience members. And it's just like, I have a lot of issues with that 
entire climatic scene, especially since Colin Trevorrow did a great job with the T-Rex versus Indominus Rex Mm -hmm. fight. But I think if you keep that prologue in, that final fight is a lot better. It's more satisfying. Yeah. And instead, it's just it just feels like, oh, it's just another dinosaur instead of something that we're invested in. Right. Because we're really only invested in Rexy as a character, right? Like we, right. the other dinosaur, we, we don't really have that much feeling towards. If anything, it would be animosity because it almost killed Claire. So at that point, we're kind of just stressed about it being there. Um, well, but we don't even that- ha- I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Well, we don't even have that much animosity towards it because like, sure, it attacks like the group. But it doesn't kill any of them, whereas the Indominus Rex kills a bunch of people, slaughters mm-hmm. the Apatosaurs, um, and the Indominus Rex was a true villain. Yes. Now, I appreciate they didn't make the Giganotosaurus a villain. It's just a dinosaur. Right. But at the same time, give us that like context in the beginning of the movie so the audience mm-hmm. is more engaged with what feels like an epic rivalry of species. Yes. As opposed to, oh, it's just another third act CGI fight. Right. And especially coming off the heels of the Indominus Rex, they really had their work cut out for them, I feel like. And this fight just did not measure up. It it really did just feel, and it's one of my qualms with the movie, which again, I had fun with it. I like this movie. But one of my big qualms is the climax just didn't hit the emotional points that I wanted it to hit in terms of the dinosaurs. Loved seeing all the characters interact with each other. Wasn't happy with how they handled the dinosaurs. And especially since they treat some of the dinosaurs as characters. Yes. Especially Blue, and Blue's not really in the movie. No, and even Beta's not in the movie that much. You you would expect her to have a bigger role, but she's kind of let out. Maisie lets her out and off she goes and we don't see her again until Chris Pratt goes to pick her up. Right. I think the main problem, and I said this, um, people listening to the podcast, you, you would have heard this last week. But um, I think the biggest problem with Jurassic World Dominion is it spreads itself too thin, mm-hmm. tries to do too much. And as a result, it, it tries to juggle way too many balls. And I think it drops all of them. Yeah. And I this is a complaint that I have about a lot of movies that take on this ensemble formula, even the Avengers movies that sort of set the stage for it right now is when you're juggling that many characters and that many storylines from a writing perspective, that's something that's really, really hard to do while keeping your audience engaged. And I feel like that's the downfall of so many movies and Dominion is a really good example of that because they knew, okay, we have to close out the storyline of the new Jurassic World characters. We have to tie up loose ends from the original trilogy. We have to tie up loose ends from this trilogy. We want to make sure people were upset that we didn't put Jeff Goldblum in Fallen Kingdom enough. So we need to give all the original characters the screen time they deserve. And it's just, you're biting off way more than you can chew. 
And I think the problem is they wanted to make this a trilogy mm-hmm. when they had enough ideas to keep it going. Like, just just keep going. Definitely. <laughs> especially when you're thinking... Well, and especially when you're thinking of they've set this up to be, okay, the world has dinosaurs in it now. Well, that opens up so many possibilities of so many different stories that you can have. And so capping it here, while I get it because, okay, the original was a trilogy. Now we're making a new trilogy. We're going all Star Wars on it. I get it. But you have the door open for so many more stories. Why not chase after them? Especially considering, well, What's better than two trilogies? Three trilogies. You have a trilogy of trilogies. That's what Star Wars is. Exactly. (laughs) This could be the middle one. Yes. And I wouldn't be surprised if it wound up being that. If a few years down the line, they're like, all right, we're ready. Let's dust off Jurassic Park again. Right. And then they could chase after what uh, society with dinosaurs really is. Right. But um, while also exploring more of the genetic engineering concepts. Right. Because I think that was like one of the most interesting takes that Dominion had. And I feel like just because it was juggling so many balls, it didn't get the attention that it deserved. And there's so much to explore there because that's really what the original Jurassic Park stems from is okay, if you could bring something back to life that's been extinct for millions of years, what else can you do? And what happens when that power falls in the wrong hands? And this, Dominion has a lot of good ideas, like Mm -hmm. the idea of a dinosaur black market, the idea of dinosaur breeding farms. Yes. Like basically capitalism taking over the dinosaurs. Absolutely. Absolutely. And they, they make a lot of really good like animal rights metaphors and environmentalism metaphors. Like they've got so much going on that I wish that they had spent more time with. And I think right. that they just couldn't story-wise. It, it, they just try to do way too much. And yeah, back to mm-hmm. my disappointment with the T-Rex Giga fight. Um, Cause I'm still on, on this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get if you're gonna, I get, I'm gonna butcher this dinosaur's name, but the uh, Sarah, Therasinosaurus, the, uh, the Freddy Krueger dinosaur. Okay, yes, yes, yes. I'm sorry, that did not need to be in the final climax. No, it didn't make sense. Like, I get that you have this cool new dinosaur that only had one scene. Mm-hmm. So did the um, so did the feather raptor. So did the big Quetzalcoatl, um, the big Pteranodon. Yeah. The one that starts with the Q. I am not saying its name right. That is okay. I'm not even going to attempt it, even though I already attempted it and failed miserably. The Atrociraptors mm-hmm. only got one scene. Yeah. Freddy Krueger-saurus is fine with just one scene. Because it worked so well for that scene. And okay, yeah, it's fun to see a dinosaur that was cool and had a cool scene come back, but it didn't completely make sense to me. Like, what? okay, what's the purpose? Why is it 
back because throughout this franchise, there are so many dinosaurs that only get one scene, one moment, one little thing. So what makes this one so special that it got to be in this climactic final fight? Especially when this film sets up for something way more epic. And Mm -hmm. in the, in the epilogue confirms my suspicions and the fact that they didn't go this route kind of pisses me off because <laughs> it was so cl- we were so close to having it and i'm just gonna jump right in they say early in the movie how hard it was for them to capture the t-rex and they actually show the t-rex mm-hmm. like even earlier than that like tranked up and in a cage yes um kind of in shadow because i remember being like is, is is that my girl is that rexy is she there and then and then later getting confirmation it was. Um, but they said they got most of the dinosaurs from Site B. Mm-hmm. And then in the coda, you see Rexy kind of interacting with two other T-Rexes. Yes. So I'm assuming those that's the mama and papa from the Lost World. Yeah, it would make sense. So after the Giga curb stomps Rexy, um, which her jaw was, looked like it was broken. I thought she was dead. Yeah, I was stressed. I was like, oh, that was unceremonious. Yeah. And then that, and then that really cheesy push up on her eye, which also makes a lot more sense if you watch the prologue. Mm-hmm. Because they do a push up on the dead T-Rex's eye. That's where you see the mosquito. Okay. It makes that, it makes that shot so much better right like brings that full circle exactly other because without it it's just like that was weird and took me out of the movie right um but imagine like two like the mama and the papa t-rex coming from two different sides flanking the giga and then rexy getting back up and you get a three-on-one fight yeah that would have been great I would have loved that. And it or, would have made sense. Right. Or alternatively, they said Site B. Mm-hmm. You know what else was in Site B? The Spinosaurus. Oh, shit. Yeah. Yeah. That would have so, been good. And people know the Spinosaurus. It killed the Jurassic Park franchise. I mean, it killed the <laughs> T-Rex. <laughs> But it would have been because especially when this movie was making so many callbacks to the original franchise, that would have been a great addition. Personally, I like the two T-Rexes more than the Spinosaurus because uh, my problem- I I would agree. Because it's like, if the Spinosaurus kills a Giga and T-Rex is left alive, do you have the Spinosaurus kill the (laughs) T-Rex? Right, what happens then? You still have one dinosaur against another dinosaur. You still have like two alpha predators mm-hmm. or apex predators. It, it doesn't solve your problem, right? Because right. the whole idea is that Giga is this ultra predator. But what does solve the problem is the mama and the papa Rex. Yes. Because you set it up. It was set up in, in the, uh, that payoff would have been far more exciting for the fans and the general audience because the fans are going to be like yeah the law like lost world you know 
And yes, the general audience is going to be like, that's three T-Rex. Again, like we said earlier, the more T-Rex is the better. Right. And it's, and it's like, and the movie confirms that they're all there. Yes. <laughs> so it's such a missed opportunity. Mm-hmm. Because we do not want Freddy Krueger-saurus. We want three T-Rex. Yes. And, um, and I like, I like, I like the long claw dinosaur and I love that scene with Claire. Oh, I, oh yeah. Same. Honestly, one of my favorite scenes in a movie. Oh yeah. So, um, it's no disrespect to that dinosaur, but no, I it just think, didn't fit in that scene. Cause I think a lot of people, myself included, were like, oh, okay. And then the fight was over so quickly. Yeah, and I can almost see where they were coming from with it of like, okay, we you, we threw this dinosaur in there, we have to bring it back somehow, but like you didn't. Or if you really wanted to show it again, you could have done a pan out of what's it doing while the locusts are spreading all this fire everywhere, right? All the right. dinosaurs are running, you could have had a clip of it running or doing something. It didn't have to be in that fight to still be brought back later. It could have been in the coda. Mm-hmm. Like, what is that dinosaur doing? Well, I guess it would still be in the faculty or whatever that place was, the compound. Okay. Sorry, it froze up again. Oh, no worries. I guess it would have, I guess, as well, I was just saying that dinosaur could have showed up in the coda, but I guess it would just still be in the compound. Right. But there's still, I just like, because I understand kind of, when you're writing, you sort of have this really, it's a rule of three, but typically just when you're putting something in there, if it's significant, you bring it back and bring it back. And so I guess they wanted this dinosaur to be significant and brought it back, but it just didn't have to be in the way that they went about it because it just didn't completely make sense in terms of the broader story, right? Because when you have a franchise, it's each individual movie is its own story, but you've also got this broader context that you're telling the story within. And like, how do we know that dinosaur didn't try to go after Rexy? Right. Like, cause that was a hyper aggressive, I know it's a herbivore, but it's still a hyper aggressive animal. Right. So, and it does not have the intelligence that say Blue had. Right. To be like, oh, this is a friend. Exactly. Like, you don't get that connection. Like, it doesn't really have that. So, missed opportunity. I mm-hmm. mean, there are a lot of missed opportunity in these in this movie. But that, that was the one that got me the most. Because I can forgive a lot of stuff. I, I, like, I like horror, so I watch a lot of bad movies. Mm-hmm. And... And I've seen way worse than this movie. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That being said, that's like the one part where it's like, really? <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. But to bring it to the original Jurassic Park for a second, we were talking a lot about writing dinosaurs and, you know, writing like science fiction themes. And I'm interested Mm -hmm. in your thoughts on what I'm about to say, but I think Jurassic Park 
is a classic in the theme of what I like to call daddy issues. <laughs> okay. So I have a theory mm-hmm. that all film, or not all, but like 90, 90% of every movie has daddy issues in some form. Okay. So um, some quick examples, issues with the father. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 is a great mm-hmm. daddy issues movie. Absolutely, yes. And then there's issues being the father. Mm-hmm. Steven Spielberg's War of the Worlds. Yes. Is probably is a prime example mm-hmm. of that one. But a lot of movie, like like I said, 90% of movies have dad, like off the top of my head, Silence of the Lambs. That's mm-hmm. Clarice Starling's whole character motivation right and i'm trying i'm trying to think of horror this is a horror podcast right i'm trying to think of horror based examples and some of them are like a stretch like i think you could argue scream ghost face callback but uh mr prescott is a suspect basically the whole movie Oh, yeah. And to be fair, Scream throughout the entire franchise is daddy issues and mommy issues. Well, I would I would say it's more mommy issues. Yes, but Uh, I I see where you're coming from. But there are the daddy issues there. Yes. Um, Nightmare on Elm Street. Mm -hmm. Like Nancy has to work so hard. I I guess it's both mommy and daddy in Nightmare on Elm Street. But especially she has to work especially hard to get her her dad who's a sheriff i think yeah he's a police officer i think he's the sheriff he doesn't even listen to her really (laughs) no well and and to be fair and we're not talking about that movie now but to to be fair for her parents is they think that she's absolutely losing her mind and they're like all right they're trying they're coming at it rationally and she's coming at it from no this man is going to kill me in my dreams and I'm trying to stop that from happening, right? And trying to get your dad to listen to you when you're saying something that outlandish. I, I get the daddy issues thing, but also I understand where he's coming from to be like, Nancy, you're a little crazy right now. But the daddy issues don't understand that. Oh, no, not at all. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> but, um, but then there's also the idea of issues being the father. And in that you get, like I said, Tom Cruise in War of the Worlds. He spends that whole movie mm-hmm. like trying to be a good dad and just failing, just right. fail, failure after failure. Jaws. Chief mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Well, his it's a bit more of a stretch in Jaws, I think, because I think he's like one of the only good Spielberg dads. Yeah, but I think that you can almost extend it to he's not just protecting his kids. He's trying to protect this entire town. And so you're still like, okay, he's not the town's parent. He's the sheriff, but he's still trying to, it's still like a fatherly role that he's taking on as this like protector. And he even takes on that role in the boat in the second and in the last third of the film when he's on the boat with Quint and Hooper. And he has to be the mediator between their classing, to put it generously, uh, personalities yes he he very much continues to take on that parental role and like there's just a lot 
I think there's more issues with the father than issues being the father in horror, at least off the top of my head. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of mommy issues in horror because like Psycho. Oh, well, horror just loves to play with that parent-child relationship. Right. Oh, wait. I guess um, I don't know these movies as well, but the only one I really know is the first one. Chucky kind of becomes a father. Oh, yeah, that's right. I didn't think of that, but yeah. Um, But I don't know those movies well enough to really talk about them. Alien has mother issues. Mm-hmm. In a lot of ways, uh, mostly subtext. Yeah. <laughs> the majority of is- parental issues I th- in film, I think, are daddy issues. Like the entire Star Wars saga, the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe are built off of daddy issues. And the Jurassic Park franchise, as films, not as much in the book, but in as films, is based in daddy issues. Okay. And that's where that's where I think the first film really, really resonates with people. Because I don't think everyone can resonate with um, being eaten by dinosaurs on vacation. No, that's harder to connect with, um, thankfully. <laughs> the world has and, enough going on. We don't need um, dinosaur massacres happening. And sci-fi is just kind of a cold genre in terms of audience participation a lot of times yes and and I feel like it can be just sort of a cold genre in general and I feel like um a lot of what makes Jurassic Park resonate with a lot of people and I know with myself are the characters because they're not just like these generic cookie cutter people that you just kind of shuffle in there because you need to fill out a cast they all feel very, very real and very authentic. And you get to see these very real relationships playing out between them as they're in this larger than life universe that we can't really fathom. And what I think Michael Crichton and David Coop, the co-writers of the screenplay for Jurassic Park, I think what they do very well is they know they have the hard science themes, the um, play the man playing God, life finds a way. Those type of you know corporate sabotage, mm-hmm. that sort of thing, but makes it relatable to us as the audience through everyone's favorite daddy issues. And there are three daddies in Jurassic Park. Okay, the main character, Doctor Alan Grant, mm-hmm. who has the most daddy issues. He doesn't even like kids. No, that's a major character point. And he's flanked by John Hammond, mm-hmm. who's a happy grandpa. Yep. Who leaves his kids with strangers. Yep. So he has issues. Oh, yeah. Because he just sees his own grandkids as a test audience. Yes. And then Jeff Goldblum, mm-hmm. who is also an absent dad. Yes. You, you really explore it more in the sequel. Yeah, like you don't get that much of that side of his character in Jurassic Park. But you can see how he interacts with the kids versus how the other male characters interact with the kids. Because even though he doesn't get as much time with them, he's the one to kind of go out with the torch to get the T-Rex away from them. He's 
never really cold to them. He's kind of just okay with them being there. He's very chill about it all. And there's this like an exchange of dialogue where um, it's raining. It's right before the the Ford Explorers stop. Mm -hmm. And Dr. Ian Malcolm is kind of like pushing Grant on uh, the availability of Dr. Sadler. Yes. <laughs> and they're and Grant's just like, you like kids or you have kids. And Malcolm is just like, oh, yeah, I love kids. I have three of them. Anything can and does happen. Same with wives. Three of those, too, or something <laughs> like that. Yes. And you can tell that that's where Ian Malcolm's daddy issues are. And he likes kids and he yes. loves his kids, but he's absent. He's yes, too he's much of a, with his kids. Right. He he has to be all over the place. And I think his daughter in the sequel says it very well. She has a line where it's like, you love having kids, but you don't like being around them. or you love having kids. You just don't want to spend any time with them or something like that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So like he likes the idea of being a father, but not really being physically present as a father. So even though Malcolm and Hammond love kids, they're both absent. Grant being the one who hates kids is the only one there for the kids. Yes, he's the one that steps up to the plate. And they really make a point of that, right? Because Lex is the one that says, like, I think it's the lawyer runs out on them. And she's yes. like, he left us, he left us. And Grant is like, well, I'm not leaving you. Like, I'm here and I'm not going to do that. When he goes up to, there's such great acting in this scene. But when he goes up in the tree to save Tim, mm -hmm. and Tim's just like, I threw up. Dr. Grant's just like, I'm not going to tell anyone. <laughs> yes, it's but, like this little moment of solidarity. And I don't even think that Grant knows how much that might mean to a kid, right? Because again, right. he doesn't really like them. He doesn't spend time around kids. But you can remember yourself being a little kid and like throwing up and being embarrassed by it, which like, why were any of us embarrassed by it? It's something that happens. You get sick, whatever. But it's this very meaningful like, okay, it's cool. You threw up. We don't have to dwell on that. We don't have to tell anybody else. Let's just get the hell out of here before a dinosaur eats us. <laughs> exactly. And like throughout the movie, he just shows more and more like bonding with like trying to get the Brachiosaurus to feed by them so they can mm -hmm. all pet him or uh, playing the practical joke. Yeah. With, with the fence. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then at the end of the movie, they're sleeping on him. <laughs> Exactly. Like, it's so sweet. And, and it's something bringing Dominion back into it that I kind of wish that they had played with more because once again, he's being thrown in this situation with a child. And mm -hmm. I feel like they didn't take as much initiative with that as they could have because I would have loved to see interaction between Grant and Maisie and see how he's kind of evolved since having that experience. Well, Jurassic Park 3, I think, does a good job seeing the relationship between Grant and Eric. Yes. Because Grant's very cold towards the couple, and rightfully so. They, you know, tricked him into being on the island, and I would be cold too, but he's never cold with the kid. No, and he almost has this, like, Gordon Ramsay quality where, like, he's harsher with adults because they should know what they're doing, and right. he's very, very kind to kids because they're just kids. And honestly, that kid was far more, uh, a far more valuable a team member than any of the other adults in that movie. This is very true. But bringing it back to Dominion, I don't want to harp on it too much, mm -hmm. 
because while I do have a lot of issues with the film, there are a lot of parts I liked about it. Mm -hmm. And like, I can forgive it because I can tell it was made by a fan. Right. Was it a good movie? I don't really think so. But at the same time, I could tell that they tried really hard. And I'm like, there was passion behind it for sure. Yeah. And it's like, you know what? You swung for it. You missed, but you swung for it. But you went for it. I've seen worse, you know? Yes, definitely. And there's this great moment where Maisie kind of takes initiative and puts up her hand, um, Chris Pratt style, to uh, Beta, the baby velociraptor. Yes. And kind of like starts, uh, kind of like holds her at bay. Um, Owen Grady, Chris Pratt's character, is just like, Dr. Grant, I'm going to need you to do, strike that same pose so we can triangulate her attention yes. so I could get a clear shot and trank her in the neck. And you get a, and you get this moment of Dr. Alan Grant, who studied raptors from the beginning, mm-hmm. who has this in, intense relationship with velociraptors. Yes. And you can see in Sam Neill's performance, like Dr. Alan Grant is like, holy shit. Oh, yeah. Oh, and he because you can tell because even when um, Chris Pratt's character is like giving these instructions and he's like, all right, you're going to have to copy Maisie. You're going to have to do this. This is our plan. Grant is looking at Maisie and he's like just astonished at what she's able to do and what's happening in front of him. And it's just like so fun to see that kind of reaction out of him, because I don't think that we've seen Alan Grant get as excited about anything since he first saw dinosaurs at the original park. It was definitely the last time he was excited about dinosaurs. <laughs> yes, <laughs> about living dinosaurs in front of him because we know that right. he's still doing his digs and all that kind of stuff. But like this moment of actual human interaction with dinosaurs and there being a semblance of this is like the beginnings of communication, right? This is like dog training where, okay, my dog and I don't speak the same language, but he's going to listen to me because we're figuring that out. And he's sort of seeing this play out of this dinosaur is an animal and it's interacting with this little girl in the way that an animal would. And I have never seen a velociraptor not just attack somebody when it's alive in front of me. Right. And I, I, I love that moment for that. I do think that's just a fantastic. I agree. I wish there were more. I wish there were more fantastic moment, director <laughs> I moments. I know um, they're few and far between. <laughs> But that was a that was a good one. At one point, Jeff Goldblum's Dr. Malcolm calls someone a rapacious rap bastard. Yeah, that was a good one. That that's just a great moment. He has Out of so context many, in context. He has so many great lines and great little quips throughout the movie that it's worth watching just for him, just to like watch him kind of observe what's going on. And I just love how out of touch. Dr. Alan Grant is mm-hmm. in this one. Like I, I say this lovingly, but he's kind of like that that lovable grumpy boomer. Yes. Who doesn't exactly. understand technology. <laughs> it, and it suits his character so well, though, because like that that is the Alan Grant I remember. He just wants to be out there digging up his little dinosaur bones having a grand old time. He doesn't want anything to do with your technology. And there's this great bit where Malcolm and Settler are doing like espionage, I guess. And they're being all secretly. And they know Grant won't be able to do that. So Grant's like, yeah, like trying to get a coffee. (laughs) He has to talk to the hipster at the coffee cart. (laughs) 
and he doesn't and he has no clue what the, the barista is saying <laughs> and he's just getting increasingly more agitated and like ellie knows like right. she's looking over at him like okay we can't do this too long because he's gonna strangle this kid and that's just a great moment there's another great moment where the giganotosaurus kind of comes up to the group and both grant and owen the the dinosaur experts I guess, of their respective trilogies, mm-hmm. they both say, don't move. Mm-hmm. And there's this like, and Grant kind of gives Owen a little side glare. And I think that's such a good oh, like, it's little so moment. perfect. Yes, because it's this little nod to like fans of the original movies. That's like, mm-hmm. yeah, we know what we're doing. We know exactly what we're doing. Because what's physically happening on screen is these two separate trilogies are clashing together and interacting with each right. other. And I like that little nod to the audience of, yeah, we're aware of what's happening and we want you to like this. We're going to throw you a bone here. And there's also a little musical throwback, which made me very happy because how nerdy are you when it comes to film scores? Pretty nerdy. Okay, so you'll probably be able to follow along. But uh, people who've listened to the podcast last week's episode, I was talking to my friend Josie about the Jurassic Park score. And we talk at length about the carnivore motif. Mm -hmm. For those unaware, it's like a four note little snippet of music, which really only shows up in the first movie, has one little brief scene in Lost World and shows up quite a bit in the third movie. And it's the carnivore motif, but it's really just the raptors theme. Mm -hmm. It's mostly used with the raptors. The T-Rex gets maybe like, I think just one scene with it. Okay. And that's the that's the um chase, the Jeep chase. Yes, okay, yeah. But um most of the appearances of this musical cue is with the Velociraptors. It's like the bum 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 boom, like that yes. piece of music. It doesn't show up in the Jurassic World trilogy because well the Raptors are good now. Right, we've switched their allegiance. Right. And it's primarily, it was primarily associated with the Raptors. So this theme makes a brief comeback when the Giganotosaurus appears. Mm -hmm. And it plays in tandem with the Indominus Rex theme. And I thought that was a really cool touch because both the original carnivore theme and the new Indominus theme lead us to the Giganotosaurus. Yes, I like that. Who I think gets its own theme, but I'm not quite sure. I haven't listened to the score enough to isolate it. Yeah, but I like that because that's, again, because I know like when I walked out of the theater, I was like, you know what? I liked it because it brought together these two worlds in a way that could have been better, but was honestly just fun for me. And that's one of those little touches that is literally, we know that we've done these two very separate things. And we're showing you that we're melding them together now. And I really, I really like that because that's exactly, yeah, it melds those two worlds and then it brings in the new big bad. Yes. So there's, a, I thought that was a great musical moment there because honestly, I did not like some of the music in this one because this is going to be very nitpicky. Okay. I don't think they use the original John Williams theme well. I honestly agree. Because the the main theme of Jurassic Park represents the dinosaurs. Mm-hmm. 
but they overused it in service of the original characters. And I'm like, that that's retconning the purpose of that musical theme. Right. It, it wasn't the point of what that music originally represented. I understand why they used it the way that they did, because again, we're connecting yeah. back to why are we sitting in this theater right now? Because we made a movie 30 years ago and right. this is that theme, right? Remember these characters. It's supposed to trigger your brain to be thinking about that, but it isn't what the theme was used for in that original movie. It bugs me. <laughs> It's a fair criticism because it it's something that you would hope filmmakers would be a little bit more thoughtful of, especially when working on a franchise of this scale. And I know Michael Giacchino is a huge Jurassic Park nerd, so I don't think it um it was him as a composer wanting to use that those themes there. I mean, I don't know. I wasn't in the room. Right. It's very possible that he but... was just asked to put things in certain places, which is fine. You're doing a job. You right. have to do what the director wants you to do. Um, and, and again, we don't even know where that idea originally came from. Was it the composer? Was it the director? Was it somebody else? We don't know where that decision was made at, and at what point, but it, it could have been executed a lot better. I just wonder about the making of this film. <laughs> there <laughs> were decisions we made. <laughs> Listen, we weren't in the room. <laughs> We were not in the room where it happened. No, we were not. We were not consulted. (laughs) And we should have been. (laughs) Yes. As far as major complaints, that's probably my biggest one. No, it's the Rexy fight at the end. That's my biggest one. The music is my sick. Because I liked a lot of the original music. Mm -hmm. I got to say, I loved the entire Malta sequence especially the motorcycle atrociraptor chase. That was so good. The only thing I wish that I kind of wish they would have done, this isn't a critique. This is just me kind of like what I would have done a little differently Mm -hmm. is there's this great shot of Owen motorcycling through the plaza where the bigger allosaurs and carnotaurs are just spreading mayhem. And he just kind of keeps going. I would have loved to see Owen just circle around the two larger dinosaurs for a second and have one of the big ones take out a raptor oh that would be cool i like that idea because it reinforces that owen's smart you know yes and then you get rid of one of the raptors that way exactly i mean that's not something that breaks the movie for me there are other things that do that (laughs) but then in particular i love that scene and i Mm -hmm. love I love like the motorcycle being chased by Velociraptors while trying to hop on a plane that's moving. So good. (laughs) I love that. And I like bringing in the like Jason Bourne, James Bond elements to this franchise. Yes, you get like this mini action movie in the middle of what is just a Jurassic Park movie, just a dinosaur movie. You get this little like, action car chase sequence and we need to talk about we need to talk about dewanda wise as kayla i don't Mm -hmm. remember i don't remember her that character's last name but like the smuggler pilot yes i love her she's great i want them to make a spin-off movie where she like helps dinosaurs that is all i want that would be a lot of fun absolutely i wish i mean it's it's funny because that character is like 
pretty thinly written. They they get the basics down like just good enough, but that the actress that plays her did such a good job. Yes, and this is where I'll say because like filmmaking is so collaborative, right? So yeah. and and something that I will always say is when it comes to a specific character, whether I'm critiquing a work or writing something, when it comes to a specific character, I will almost always defer to the actor because I I can write a character and have an idea of them in my head and put them down on paper. But the minute I hand that off to an actor, they're the ones that have to embody that person. And they're going to get much more close and much more intimate with that person than I ever could just writing them down or playing around with them in my head. And so it's one of these things where with Kayla, she could have been such a flat character because there is a lot that's quite basic about her, right? She's got like these kind of generic traits that will slap on any character that we want to be viewed as a badass or morally gray or kind of just pick and choose, slap whatever label you want on her. But then this actress comes in and layers so much personality and has so much chemistry with the other cast members that it really fleshes out this person. To the point where it's like, the reactions to this film has been, let's say, mixed at best. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I feel like everyone agrees that she's great. And the Freddy Krueger Soros chasing Claire was an amazing tension scene. Oh, absolutely. We, we talked about Jurassic Park for quite a while. We did. <laughs> a lot more about Jurassic World Dominion than I was expecting, but the movie just came out and we wanted to talk about it. Yes. <laughs> My last question for you today is the most important question. Okay. The title of the podcast is Would You Die? And I asked you at the very beginning, what's your favorite dinosaur? Mm -hmm. You have the hardest one. (laughs) If you're in Jurassic Park and you found yourself hunted by a velociraptor, Mm. would you die? Am I, am I being chased by one velociraptor or is this like a team effort like like in the original? You're never chased by one velociraptor. Let's this be is real. true. This is true. There's always others. Um, so I will say that my toxic trait is thinking that I could become friends with the velociraptors and Chris Pratt my way into <laughs> being in their circle. Um, And and so I would probably attempt that and then die because I thought that I could be friendly with the velociraptors and they're not friendly. I'm sorry. That would make you not a clever girl. Mm, That's okay. (laughs) The raptors didn't invite you to the clever girl club and I'm sorry. That's okay. I think that you have to be a raptor to be in that club. And unfortunately, I am too human for that. And they're, they are clever girls. They are. It's very true. Well, I hope you find solace in the fact that I would also die when encountering velociraptors. <laughs> Those, because they, they can open doors. They're too smart, man. And we didn't talk about how awesome Robert Muldoon is as a character. I know. The man gets like five, six minutes of screen time and is <laughs> awesome. Oh, he owns every single second that he's on that screen. I love that if if you don't count the like kind of opening, the whole shoota, mm-hmm. shoota. <laughs> Iconic. Um, his first line other than that is, they should all be destroyed. 
And who walks into a movie other than a badass like that? Exactly. He was so good. And he has the best first line and the best last line. Mm-hmm. They should all be destroyed to clever girl. So good. Bob Peck, the actor who plays him, his acting in the um in the T-Rex chase scene mm-hmm. really sells that scene. Oh yeah. Yes, absolutely. Because if if you think about it, it's literally just a straight line of a chase. Mm-hmm. And people listening won't know this, but I just gestured it like people are watching this. No one's watching this. No. <laughs> but I did it anyways. There was gesture. It's just a straight line. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just a straight line and like there's no curves, there's no like obstacles. Mm-hmm. So the acting has to sell it. Laura Dern gives an all-time great scream. Mm-hmm. Jeff Goldblum, you know, must go faster. And then like just laying on the stick. It's just like, it just feels so hectic. There's this moment where they're all freaking out in the car because the T-Rex is gaining on them because Jeff Goldblum's on the stick and Robert Muldoon can't get the right. He can't go forward. And I can't quite tell what Laura Dern is saying. She's either saying shift. I'm not saying yelling. She's either yelling shift or she's yelling shit. And either is appropriate. Yes, and I, I need to watch it with the subtitles on, which I normally do anyway, but I just never really paid attention because I think that I always just assumed that she was saying shit over and over again. Maybe she's saying both. It's possible that she's just saying both. (laughs) Um, I watched it with subtitles the other day and it was shit. Okay. And and, it makes the movie so much better. The thing with subtitles though is because you're not um, going off of like the script most of the time. It's the discretion of whoever is doing the subtitles. Um, and they have the same out opinion the as me. And all that stuff. <laughs> exactly. Like the, they're just going off of what they hear usually. I think sometimes they'll right. have a script in front of them, but most of the time it's just your discretion. What do you want that sound effect to be? Or what is this character actually saying? I always just assumed that it was shit, but it does make sense for it to be shift in that scene. And it adds to the chaos I think because in that moment the characters wouldn't know what she was saying right because they're all just focused on getting the hell out of there I personally would be saying shit same (laughs) but yeah I love I love that moment and then when they finally do get get away um Bob Peck just kind of gives a smirk like (laughs) I just did that and it Mm -hmm. makes the scene so much better it's like that little detail it adds so much personality to the character because again this is a character that could be very cookie cutter he's the dinosaur guy right like he he's the one that's been working with these dinosaurs and that doesn't trust what's happening and that could could have been the whole character but we get these little moments of the acting that gives us some more context and fleshes him out for us as an audience one of my favorite lines in the movie which like I think about constantly. I don't say it because it never comes up. Like it's not like spare no expense. Like that can come up natural. Hold on to your butts. Must go faster. Yes. <laughs> A lot of Jurassic Park's quotes can fit into normal everyday conversations. Yes. Like well, there it is. Mm-hmm. Like there's so are you know I think we're back in business. Like there's so many things. It's very quotable. Quote. 
one of my favorite line there are two line readings i think about all the time and you can never quote them because it's lex being like he left us he left us Mm -hmm. and we talked about that earlier yes but that's not what i'm gonna do i i love that part but a line i think that lives rent free in my mind and i can never say it it'll never come up naturally is robert muldoon going like I told you how many times that we needed to put locking mechanisms on the vehicle doors. Yes. And it's such a weird, obscure line that I think I'm the only one that thinks about it. I don't think you are, though, because the thing about it is, one, it's it's an excellent line read, like just flat, whatever it that is a great line read in that moment. Mm -hmm. But it's also this piece of world building that we get so organically because like, okay, you've got this theme park filled with dinosaurs, so much liability. What could possibly happen and what safety precautions are we taking? And here's this one little thing of maybe we should lock the doors. Maybe (laughs) that would be a good idea to not let people get out of the cars. And now we're getting that this has been a conversation repeatedly, right? So we're getting this sense of a relationship that he has with Hammond, world building of we're trying to make a dinosaur theme park and we're fucking up everywhere. And just an excellent line read that builds that character for us. And you want to talk about maximizing a performance. We have to give credit to Samuel L. Jackson. Yes, absolutely. I think people forget he's in the movie because he's more fit. Like Jurassic Park is one of the most famous movies of all time. But when you think Mm -hmm. of Sam Jackson, you think of Pulp Fiction, you think of Nick Fury. You're thinking of his bigger roles, right? Like he's playing a smaller role in this movie, but it's just as iconic as the huge characters. He has as good of moments. And I think this was his breakout. Yeah, if it wasn't his breakout, it was definitely like in that time period of him like really up and coming. Well, it comes out the year before Pulp Fiction. Yeah. And Pulp Fiction is like his his like star. Like that's when he becomes a star. Mm-hmm. But I think he landed roles because they saw him in Jurassic Park. Oh, yeah. And then now he's Mace Windu. Mm-hmm. He's in... um. He's Nick Fury. He might be the only actor to be in Jurassic Park, Star Wars, and Marvel. That's, yeah. So, Velociraptor, you would die. I would die. I would absolutely die. But Uh, I would die trying to befriend it. (laughs) We're we're not talking Jurassic World Velociraptors. We're talking Jurassic Park Velociraptors. And they are mean. They are scary. Yes. They are clever girls. Yeah, they're not friendly. I can't I can't do the Owen Grady put out my hand and be their friend. Right. But I would try. Nothing would stop me from trying. Well, you, you, you would try it. And that's when they get you not from the front, but from the sides, from the other exactly. two raptors you didn't even know were there. Yes. And then you get to say the line. I get to say clever girl. Yeah. <laughs> so see, I wouldn't think of it, though. I'd just be like, God damn it. <laughs> I'm, I'm not I'm not as clever. <laughs> well, on that note, thanks for being on the show. <laughs> Thank you for having me again. <laughs> oh, for sure. Is there anything you want to talk about coming up for you? 
Um, no, it's actually been pretty quiet around here lately. Um, I'm recording another podcast soon, but that won't be out until probably the fall. So just keep an eye out. Um, I'm always kind of doing conferences and different things like that. So I'll be around on social media. And I'm sure you'll be on the show on here again sometime in the near future. I I will force (laughs) my way back on. Perfect. (laughs) Thank you for listening to today's episode. Shout out to my friend Lex Vranick for once again joining me on the podcast. So it turns out last week was my 20th episode of the podcast, which is crazy. I've heard that most podcasts started by newbies like me don't make it to episode 10. So I think I got a good thing going. If you like what you heard and want to hear 20 more episodes, please rate, share, and subscribe. It'll help this podcast grow, and those of you listening now can brag to your friends how you were a fan from the very beginning. You can find the show's social media on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Would You Die Show. Feel free to talk to me on there, let me know what you think of the show, and give me any suggestions on what you might want to hear. You can find the Would You Die YouTube show on Three Wise Men Media YouTube channel, where you can find professional wrestling, trailer reviews, and much, much more. The music you hear in the beginning and end of each episode is composed by my friend, Josie Palmer. Next week's episode is the last episode of Jurassic June, because all good things must come to a close. But until then, I'm Austin Torres. Clever girl. <laughs>